good to be together. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. My name is Paul Buckley. I'm one of the pastors here and um, sometime worship leader. I hope, given that I'm kind of a baritone bass, I hope that wasn't too low for you. But, uh, you know, I, sometimes for the guys, I don't, as, I, as I sing songs, a lot of them are arranged for tenors, so higher voices for guys, and, and it can kind of stretch you as a guy. So, so uh, for this set was a little bit lower. Hopefully all the baritones out there were, were with us. Sorry if you're a high tenor. You'll just have to sing the, the, the ladies' part, I guess. But, um, but it's great. I am really enjoy leading worship when I can and just serving how I can. So if you're a guest with us, just to let you know, I'm, I'm one of the pastors. I'm a, the lead pastor here and sometime worship leader. And so most Sundays it's my privilege to bring God's word. Um, but I'm not the only guy. Last Sunday you got to hear from Toby Gaynor, one of our pastors, uh, in our series in First Thessalonians. We're going to take a little bit of a break from that series for the Advent season, though today is not the first day of Advent. Uh, it's next Sunday. Uh, Thanksgiving was early this year, so it's not till next Sunday. Uh, but I thought to take today to talk about a topic that's relevant. Uh, this Tuesday, actually you guys have heard of Black Friday, right? Did anyone shop on Black Friday? There's nothing wrong with shopping on Black Friday, just so you know. Now, there's only one honest person in the whole room. Um, yep, there she is. Uh, but I'm sure a lot of us shopped on Black Friday. Uh, and this Tuesday is something kind of uh, in contrast to Black Friday, because certainly nothing wrong with shopping on Black Friday, but it can be the, you know, the, the pursuit of gifts and buying things, and it can kind of be uh, in, in vain, just vanity. You know, you're just buying something, you know it's not going to last beyond the one year and so forth. And so uh, somebody's arranged for this Tuesday to be Giving Tuesday kind of in contrast to Black Friday, it's a chance to give away uh, money to worthy organizations in ways that will last a long time, Lord willing, uh, even a whole life, and certainly in things that are for the Lord, it's in, of eternal value. So in light of that, I thought it'd be important, because because it's in the scriptures, to talk a little bit about finances and what the Bible says. Uh, and I know uh, this is like a topic that is a little bit awkward, certainly for me, and for us, and if you have brought a guest this morning, it's probably awkward for you right now, uh, but the Bible talks a lot about this topic, uh, and um, it's throughout Scripture. Jesus talked more about finances and possessions than love, more about finances and possessions than heaven and hell combined. Why? Well, um, I think because he's, he's, you're going to hear in Luke 12 as we look at the passage that where your treasure is, there is your heart also. And so in God's concern for our very best and his concern that we align our lives in loving him and loving one another, he knows that finances are tied to our hearts. And so he wants to align our hearts and align our lives in love, uh, to live in trust of him and in love for one another. So that's why I think uh, it's so prevalent. So I, so I want to address it for that reason. I just uh, want to kind of address an elephant in the room, too. If you're new to the church or a guest, there's a there's an idea out there that you know well, we should never the church should never talk about this because uh, a few irresponsible people in church history have been abusive and lacked integrity in finances. Uh, and I would just say let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. There certainly have been people who have lacked integrity, but let's not uh, fail to address a topic that has much to do with submission. Because I think either in throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you avoid maybe lack of integrity, but you end up avoiding lack of submission. And this is an important area of obedience uh, for us as believers. 
Uh, and just if you have any questions about us as a church, we are committed to uh, proper financial practices. And, and just so you know a little bit about me, if you don't know me, um, I'm not in this job to make money. <laughs> I'm really stupid if that's the case. <laughs> uh, I left a job in, as a research engineer where I made really good money and loved the work uh, because God called me to serve here. So I just want to put that out there so we can address that elephant and, it, and just know that I'm not doing this because of any bad motive that I know of in my heart, but because I love you guys. And Jesus uh, talks about this in the scriptures. I'm going to tell you it's actually 2,350 times this topic is mentioned in the Bible. Um, and so it's an important topic. Uh, the famous General Sam Houston understood this. And uh, Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, speaks of uh, a, uh, on Lyndon Johnson, President Lyndon Johnson's White House office, there hung a framed letter written more than a century earlier by General Sam Houston, so a Houston, Texas firm. Uh, to Johnson's great-grandfather, Baines. The letter was valuable just for the autograph alone, but the story behind it is even more significant. Mr. Baines was the man who led Sam Houston to trust and commit his life to Christ. Um, by the way, Sam Houston's wife had been praying him for years. That's an important backstory, of course. After this life-changing event, the general was a changed man. He, he had been a coarse and belligerent, very rude and very drunk man often. Uh, he was changed by this, became a peaceful, content man, and the day came for him to be baptized, and it was an incredible event, actually. People came from miles around to, to see his baptism because they couldn't believe that Sam Houston had become a Christian. And so they came to his baptism, and, and after the baptism, he, he came out of the water, basically, at some, at, and, and said that he was going to pay half the local minister's salary. Um, when someone asked him why, he said, not only was I just baptized, but my pocketbook was baptized, too. And he continued to give generously. And that picture is really a picture of what happens to us when we come to follow Jesus. Our finances come under his lordship, and we're to use them all for his purposes. And honestly, guys, we need help in this topic uh, because we, we struggle. We struggle with finances. We struggle with all sorts of things. And, and we have Jesus' wonderful leadership in his teaching and his word. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 34, a wonderful teaching um, that I think will transform how we understand finances and practice them for the for our joy and the glory of God. But let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we need so much help in this area. And we ask you to come and speak to us. I pray as your word is taught and proclaimed in the power of the spirit, it would be just as if you were here teaching us and forming us. And Lord, by your word, transforming us. And so I pray you, you'd do that could encounter you today and be changed and be free and glorify you as a result. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read this whole section starting in verse 13 and following down to verse 34. It starts in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, 
You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, for where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God's word from Luke chapter 12. Jesus is teaching this section and teaching us important truths about finances. And he, as you saw in the story, there's actually a real situation where someone says, you know, tell this guy to divide the inheritance with me. And, and Jesus uh, basically says, I'm not going to get involved at that level, but let me tell you some basic truths that are probably behind your conflict. I'm sure he knew that they were behind the conflict. And so he goes after the heart of the conflict that, that actually happened. And so he tells that story, and then he, he does, tells us a lot of stories and gives us a lot of word pictures here. And in what he's doing here, he's telling us that we are not to live like the story of the farmer. The farmer was oriented around how much he had, and he found his life in how much he had. And so he wanted more, and when he got more, he thought, I'll just make these barns, and I'll store it, and then life will be good. How many of us have felt that at times? If I could just have a lot or more, if I could just win the mega millions and have that $1.5 billion, then life would be good. Jesus comes after uh, them with this story to illustrate that it, life is more than having possessions. And this man was a, called a fool by God. He, he maybe thought himself wise and successful, but he was called a fool by God, because he had not been rich toward God. He had not been oriented towards what life is really about. And so Jesus tells, tells them that, that life is more 
than food, than the body more than clothing. It's, it's not about being anxious and having money. And he, and he calls them to not live that way. And then what he does is he gives them all these pictures of what the Father is like and what it is to belong to him. And I would just say he gives us the command not to live this way, not to be anxious, but then he gives us, gives us the truth that frees us not to be anxious. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about the ways in this passage that we are freed up in order to give generously and in faith and even in joy. So I want to first talk about how we're freed from anxiety, and then I want to talk about how we're freed from fear, and then how we're, I want to talk about how we're free to give. And so Jesus, uh, in seeking to help them understand the truths behind what can motivate them not to worry about finances, he calls their attention to God's created order and God's activity. And he says, consider the ravens. Um, this was not an advertisement for an NFL football team. This is pointing at a bird that in their culture was basically uh, a throwaway bird. Um, it was not a bird that was attractive. It was not a bird that provided anything. Um, it was a throwaway bird. Now, ravens are kind of cool to us because we don't have a whole lot. They're like supersized crows. Um, but in their culture, they're just, you know, they weren't that important. They were unclean, um, just not a bird that anyone thought about. So I don't know what, you know, equates to, uh, to that for us. I don't know, maybe like a starling. Um, and so Jesus says, consider the starlings. Consider these birds that are throwaway birds that, you know, you never even care about. Um, and if they're gone, you wouldn't even mind. Consider them and consider how they're taken care of. That they don't, um, they don't have fields to plow and plant. They don't have a harvest to take care of. They don't have a nine-to-five job, they don't punch a clock, they don't have a shed or a barn to store things on, nor a bank account, and yet the Father feeds them. He takes care of those throwaway, unimportant birds. And so if he takes care of them, as insignificant as they are, what about you, who are so much more significant, made in the image of God, created by God, uh, to walk with him and, and live in relationship with him and loving others. How much more will God take care of you? He, he talks about in this passage of, of anxiety and that anxiety never accomplishes anything. So don't live in anxiety. Don't, it doesn't produce anything. There's, there's actually uh, seven different reasons that Jesus gives us to be free to give in this passage. Uh, I, I didn't, I'm not necessarily going to hit every, every seven, but he says not being anxious is basically it's useless. Don't do it. It never adds anything. It doesn't add a single hour to your life. It doesn't do anything. It just makes it, you feel worse. And so instead of being anxious, consider the ravens. Consider God's provision. Your, your cure for anxiety about your finances is not to somehow get a better job or a bigger barn. It's to consider the ravens. To consider how God takes care of birds that are insignificant. And therefore, he'll take care of you. And Jesus also related to this, says, consider the lilies, how they grow. He's calling their attention to these flowers that grew in their land. Most likely, I think we have a picture to show, most likely the purple anemone. Um, and the purple anemone uh, is a beautiful, simple flower. And he calls their attention to this, this beautiful, simple flower that's clothed in a color that in their day only the very wealthy had. So a purple was a really expensive dye. It was very rare. And so the only people that had like purple and red clothes were like really wealthy people, like you know, upper, upper middle, upper, upper class people, nobility and so forth. So it was a very rare color. 
And so when Jesus is pointing out the lilies, he's saying, consider the lilies clothed in purple. And they're simple, they're elegant, they're beautiful. And not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed like this. So for their day, uh, if you wanted to, to kind of cite somebody who had the, the latest and greatest fashions, you would have pointed to Solomon and his wealth. And Jesus saying, even Solomon uh, has, was never clothed like these simple flowers. God provided for these flowers, and, and he clothed them in, in glory. And, and flowers are in the category of grass, as Jesus calls it, that basically springs up and then it's gone tomorrow. And it's, again, of, of real no great importance. And yet, God cares enough in his created order to clothe them in glory. How much more will he take care of you? The flower is not sitting there checking out the latest copy of Vogue or GQ or running to Kohl's or, or Macy's or Target, not even going to uh, Savers like I do. And yet, it is gloriously clothed. So how do you cure anxiety about these things? You look to how God already takes care of less important aspects of his creation. How much more will he take care of you? So just maybe do an exercise like I do at times. It helps me so much. Just to step back and think about how God's taken care of you. How God has provided for you. How God has clothed you and fed you in different ways. I know for me, as I think about my, uh, my, my closet of clothes, I have a closet jam-packed with clothes. Actually, there are so many clothes that I have that I can't fit them in one closet. Um, I, have, I have every color of pair of pants. And by the way, I, I order my, I'm kind of a, an order freak a little bit, so I, I order by color and, and style. But anyhow, my closet's jam-packed. All types of shirts, sweaters, and sweatshirts on the top, but, but it's overflowing. I have to, like, that's just my winter clothes, and I have a chest for my sweaters. Um, and then I have to put stuff up in the attic. I don't know if you guys are like that, but I mean, I have way more clothes. And I, my wife is trying to help me. I'm a little bit of a keeper. It's funny how every keeper will say that. I mean, the rea reality is you're a lot of a keeper probably. So I'm a lot of a keeper, I guess. My wife is not, so she's trying to help me. If you don't wear it in, within a year, you donate it. So I'm trying to do that. It's so hard sometimes. Um, but the, the point in this is that as I look at that closet full of clothes, most of those clothes I have got as gifts or hand-me-downs, hand-me-ups, hand-me-overs, or I've got a really good deal at, at uh, Savers. So just so you know, this is a genuine Harris tweed. I love tweed coats. I probably have too many tweed coats, but genuine Harris tweed, take a guess how much money it costs. Ten bucks. Nine ninety-nine. dollars um, So this, this isn't a thrift or shopping uh, episode here, but just to, to point out that, that God takes care of me. Um, I have actually, I, I got this, uh, I, I don't think I bought a suit in 30 years. Um, and just recently, one of the pastors, in, was a pastor in Haber who was moving to the Midwest. And he came up to me and said, hey, do you need any suits? And I actually had like been praying for suits. I, didn't, I needed some upgrades and, and stuff. And I said, yeah. And so he gave me these like name brand perfect suits all wrapped in the, the plastic and he said, here, try these on. They fit perfectly. It was amazing. And so now you'll see me when I do events. So if, if you see me wearing a suit, it's not my suit. It's my friend's suit that was given to me. All that to say, that's my little story, okay? 
and, and God has taken care of me, and I know he takes care of all of us. And yet I still struggle at times being really anxious about things. Oh, no, if I don't do this, you know, we're going to go bankrupt and we'll go to jail. Or that's kind of how I feel at times. You know, this is going to happen, that thing's going to happen. I worry, and I'm anxious. Now, it doesn't mean don't be faithful and diligent, right? But Jesus is saying, consider the lilies, consider the ravens, consider God's faithful provision, and do not be anxious, but trust him. Be freed from anxiety. Brothers and sisters, if you want to follow Jesus with your finances, with your whole life, you need to learn to be free from anxiety by considering God's gracious provision in just creation and, of course, applied to our lives. Second in here, Jesus uh, gives us reason related to this to be free from fear. And he uses the word fear, actually, precisely in verse 32. So as he's telling these stories, as he's seeking to help them get the picture, to be relieved of anxiety, to trust God, to, to stop holding their finances with a tight grip and let it go for God's purposes, he, as he teaches and tells these stories, he says something very profound in verse 32. He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is in the context where he's calling us to prioritize the seeking after the kingdom of God. We're to prioritize that. We're not to prioritize the seeking after money in and of itself, uh, but we're to seek the kingdom. Um, so he had said in, in verse 31, instead seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So he says don't build your barns and just try to get rich but be free from anxiety and seek the kingdom. Seek that you would have true riches. And then he, and that would be enough. That would be helpful enough just to say that. Guys, get your eyes off of being anxious about your money. Give it to the Lord. Trust him and now be free and seek the kingdom. And by the way, the kingdom is where God is king. The kingdom of God is where he is king. It's where he reigns. Uh, right now, it's a matter of the heart. We experience his kingdom reign in our hearts. It's a matter of the church. He reigns in and through the church. And it's a matter of when God's people go out to love and serve others, they are, they are in a sense, extending the kingdom of God. They're bringing the reign of God in part wherever we go. That's the kingdom. And so we're to sink, seek to live under his reign. We're to seek to live under knowing him as our gracious good shepherd and king, knowing his salvation, knowing his life, to do that as, a, as people in a community, as his church, and we're to do it in how we live. So that when it says seek, seek the kingdom, that's what he means. You know, so live your life under the king. Make that your priority. Stop worrying about money. That would be enough just to say that and in the Gospel of Matthew. That's more or less where he stops. But here, he gives us more. So he says not only seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Then he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So he adds on top of that, not only do seek the kingdom, but it's his good pleasure, the father's good pleasure, to give you the kingdom. He wants to give it to you. So your seeking is not your effort. Your seeking is not in vain. Your seeking is not like, if I try hard enough, maybe I'll get a little bit of the kingdom in my life. No, the Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Fear not. As you go to live under his reign and give your life away to, the, to him and his purposes, he's glad to work in you and through you, that you can personally experience it and you can spread it as well. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom his delight, and it points to the character of God. We see the character of God all throughout this passage, don't we? The character of the Father, what he's like. That is the key to being free to, to, to give our finances for him and his kingdom, is knowing what he's like. He is a faithful Father who's 
desirous to give us the kingdom. Now, scripture actually teaches us that before time began, before creation, before there had been the, the earth and the universe as we know it, the Father set his love on us at that point. And the Father determined for all of his people, all who would come to him and believe, that he would give us the kingdom. It comes from him. He is the gracious one. He's the, the kind one. He's the thoughtful one. I, I actually thought of, uh, of a story I heard um, about a family where their grandmother, um, they had a dear, sweet grandmother uh, loved by all her grandchildren and her children, and she passed away in the summertime. And they were grieving and mourning, and as they started to clean out the house, um, they found that, that she had already bought all their Christmas gifts. Because she loved her grandchildren and her children so much, she was thinking out throughout the year, what can I get them for this Christmas? So she had already bought them all and hid them away and wrapped them. So that Christmas, though she wasn't there with them, they could open and enjoy her gift because she was thinking ahead of time in love for her family. That's a picture of the Father. The Father has, in a sense, prepared your gift ahead of time, before you ever existed. In eternity past, he thought of you, and he, he determined that he wanted you to, to receive the kingdom. And it's no small Christmas gift that we receive from the Father. Because he knew what it would cost to do that. He knew in order to make it so that you could receive the kingdom, so you could live under the king and enjoy him as your gracious, faithful king, that it would cost a lot. And so the Father with the Son and the Holy Spirit, our triune God, before time began, uh, planned together how they would do it. And they determined that in time the Son would be sent. So the Son is the sent one by the Father. The Father is the one who's loved us and set his affection on us from eternity past. And then he sent the Son. The Son came uh, to live among us, to be born, uh, to be born as a baby, a poor baby. Uh, when he could have been born a wealthy baby, he's born a poor baby. He's born in relative poverty and dependence. And he, he grows up and he walks with God. He's God in the flesh. He goes through all the things that we go through. He goes through all the temptations that we have uh, faced. He faced them. And yet he did something different. We have all failed and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's part of the problem is we're falling short of the glory of God. We've failed to love God, to trust him, and to love others as we, we ought to. And so the Father can't ignore that. He, he has to address that. He's a holy and good God. And we've alienated ourselves from God in our sin. The, the wages of sin is death, as Scripture says. Uh, the, the, what we're paid for sin, and sin being our rebellion against God, turning away, doing it on our own, disobeying his good law, which outlines what it is to love. We were just talking about this in the men's meeting on Saturday. Um, the law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. Love your God. And that's what it's all about. And when we fail to love, we break the law. When we break the law, we fail to love. And there's a penalty for that. It's a, it's a broken relationship with God um, and all that comes with that. And there's nothing more horrible. Believe me, there's nothing more horrible than to not be at peace and reconciled with God. And if you are walking through your life right now and, and you are not reconciled to God, it may feel okay. It might even be okay. But this is only a short amount of time where that's going to be true. And God in his graciousness uh, is always pouring out kindness on all of us that we might respond to him and turn from self-dependence, turn from sin, and trust him. That's the reason that he's, that he's not letting you feel the full consequences because he wants you to turn to him. And so don't take it as, oh, hey, I'm good, and 
And you know, how bad could it be to live apart from God the rest of my life? Well, when the final, when you're, you go to meet the Lord, there'll be judgment. And then there's the full consequences for eternity, separated from Him, the fullness of what death means. There's nothing worse that you can imagine. And yet the Father in His great love for us, in this amazing love where He looks ahead in time and said, I'm going to send my Son, and He's going to live a life. He's going to live the life we all were supposed to live. He's going to live a life of love and service. He's going to demonstrate that He's Lord. He's going to go to the cross, and He's going to bear the sins of, of all of God's people, any and all who would come to Him, repent and turn to Christ, turn from their sins. He bore our sins on the cross. He paid that just penalty of death to the full, fullness of his glorious and worthy life. His blood was shed. His blood represents his, the worth of his life. And it was shed and poured out completely to death for us. Full, complete atonement. Uh, the price has been paid. And that's part of that gift. The Father said, I love these ones with this much love that I would send my only Son so that you don't have to perish, but you would have eternal life. And so the Son came and paid that price. And then in time, the Holy Spirit comes, and as you hear this good news, this truth, and He brings understanding, and you come to that point where you realize, I want this. This is what I want. I, more than anything else, I want to receive the forgiveness I'm given and, and have Jesus as my King. And the Spirit of God does that, and if you're here today and you haven't done that, I just want to encourage you, simply do that. Just tell God, I want, I want you. I don't want to do it my own way anymore. I want you. I need forgiveness. I want forgiveness. I want to have, follow you as my king. Help me follow you as my king. I can't do it on my own. And, and welcome to the club, by the way. <laughs> it's true for all of us. And so simply tell him that and turn. And, and know that as you do that, that's God's activity even in you. And behind it, mysteriously, is actually that God has, in, before time began, planned that you would believe and loved you that much. It's amazing to think about it. Jesus says it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And that reminds me of Isaiah 53. We have that verse to put up, verses 10 through 11. Speaking of Jesus and Jesus bearing our sins on the cross, Isaiah says, Yet it was the will of the Lord, meaning the Father, to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So out of Jesus' death comes reward of forgiveness and, and people being reconciled to God. But it says in, the, in verse 10 at the beginning, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Can you, can you believe that? Can you understand how amazing that is, that it's the will of the Father to crush the Son? And it's, it's for no lack of love for the Son. that He's loved the Son more than we can imagine and ever understand. And yet in his love for you and for me, it was the will of the Father to crush the Son so that you wouldn't have to be crushed. And so that's behind all of what Jesus is saying when he says it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And when we get that, guys, it frees us up to not worry about finances in this temporal world. Certainly we have a duty here, but, but it frees us to know if the Father has given me the Son and given me the kingdom, what am I worrying about? What am I fearful of? What do I have to lose? This life is short. I have eternal life in the Lord. I have nothing to fear. So let's not be conservative and try to fill our barns. Let's be extravagant and live our lives to the full 
to bring the kingdom in all the ways that God would call us. And by the way, you read through Scripture, those sorts of ways are loving those near you, loving those in your family, loving those with your, using your gifts to love others, working hard in a job and doing your best to improve your gifts to bless others, using what you're able to do in terms of finances to honor the Lord, to care for others and advance the kingdom. We're free to give, the last point, when we get these things. It frees us up. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be anxious. We can be free, and we can live freely and wisely with our money. We have motivation and understanding to change how we live, to live for the kingdom, to seek the kingdom first and let God take care of taking care of us. That's what Jesus says. And what joy we have when we get that, when we're free, when we're not worrying, when we're using our lives in those ways. In light of these truths, we can't help but live for the kingdom. We can't help but be generous. We can't help but want to maximize the use of our money. I want to just give a little bit, a quick background, by the way, that we might understand this passage, because in it, Jesus is calling them to invest their treasures where they will last. It's another motivation. If you invest your treasures in this world, they don't last. Um, But if you invest your treasures in heaven, they last forever. Uh, So he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. Um, In verse 33, uh, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So this will last forever. And he's calling his disciples to give, and he's calling them uh, in particular to give to the kingdom and to give to the needy here. And I want to give a little bit of background, because as you hear that, you might be thinking, that's exactly what I need to do right now, is just take all my money and give it all to the needy. And there are, in church history, people have done that, thinking they're fulfilling the scripture. I want to back up and help you understand that Jesus actually is speaking to believers, believing Jews here, his disciples. And there's a whole history of how the Bible teaches us about finances that they would have already been following. And so he's calling them to to not be anxious, not be fearful, and to go really above and beyond the normal ways that they would have been living in uh, light of finances. The scripture has a lot to say about how we handle finances. I think I can sum it up in three ways that we use our finances. First, we use our finances for consecration. We use our finances for care. And we use our finances for the kingdom. And again, the disciples would have been doing this. And so Jesus is calling them to to do it with a a free heart and to even go above and beyond these normal ways as his disciples to give away everything to follow him. Uh, And so the background is that they're already using their finances for consecration. So scripture talks about this really The pattern in Scripture for God's people is to consecrate their own hearts by regular uh, representative giving. We call that a tithe. Scripture calls it a tithe. It's 10%. And that 10% is present from the very beginning of Scripture. So it's not just the Mosaic Covenant. Some would say, well, it was only under the Mosaic Covenant they did that. No, actually, uh, Abraham did it before the Mosaic Covenant. So it goes way back. It's a principle of consecration. It's a blessing. Um, we're actually told, the only place in Scripture we are told to test God is in the tithe. And so Malachi 3, uh, God says uh, to test him, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So he says, test me in this, 
give the 10% and wait and see what I do. And so this principle is there in Scripture of giving the 10%. And, and again, some would say, well, that was Mosaic Covenant, now it's different. And I would say, you know what's different now? Jesus has fulfilled the Mosaic Covenant. We live in covenant with Jesus, yes, indeed. But now it's no longer 10%, it's 100%. God calls us to give everything to him. And he, he allows us to manage 90% of it. Another 10%, I think he would say, is give it to me. Uh, as, as an offering, as a way that you express your dependence, as a way that checks your heart. And again, Malachi says, test me in this. And, and so I would encourage you, uh, if you've never tithed, is to test the Lord in it. Here's the deal. I, I, I'm, I'm totally good with this. I hope our finance team is good with this too. If you've never tithed, take the next two months and tithe. And if God doesn't do anything, don't feel like you need to tithe after that, okay? But if he does something where he shows himself as faithful, then keep on trusting him and keep on tithing. I would just say that everybody who does tithe, uh, we all would say, I just can't imagine not doing that. I can't imagine not having the privilege of giving a tithe. I remember when I, I showed my dad who didn't grow up uh, giving a tithe, my, my budget when I was uh, newly married and making not much money, um, he, he said something more or less, what, are you crazy? Um, and I just said, Dad, I, I just wouldn't do it otherwise. And I wouldn't to this day. God has been faithful to provide for us in, in so many ways. So we start with consecration in that way. And I just want to encourage you to consider tithing. Uh, just a little side point so you know, um, as a church, we have room to grow here. Uh, uh, probably about 40% of our folks give really generously, and they carry the rest of us. Um, and so I just want to encourage you, if you're in the other percentage that maybe is not tithing yet, we're fine with that. If that, if that goes on, we don't know the reasons. We're not going to ask. Um, we're free with that. But I just say consider stepping up and trusting God and being part of the, the folks that are helping us uh, as a church to, to walk in the mission and the life he has for us. Second is just care. Scripture talks about care. We have a responsibility with our finances to care for those around us. Matter of fact, Paul says to Timothy, he says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Um, so we're to use our finances to provide for our families. So food, clothing, shelter, those sorts of things. Education, if you have younger children, to make sure they're educated. Uh, the challenge for us is what that means, right? Sometimes we like Provision for the basics versus extravagance. And that's kind of, we have to learn how to wisely draw the line. But we're called to care for one another in that. And, um, and the reality is a lot of us have trouble with that. And we want to help you as a church. We've run uh, Dave Ramsey's uh, book, The Total Money Makeover, to help people understand. A lot of us get caught up in consumer debt. And, that, and you're not free when you have that. So we want you to be free. If we can help you understand how to do that, how to care. And caring means saving for the future, too. Um, in scripture this is commended Proverbs 21 20 precious treasure and oil are in a, a wise man's dwelling but a foolish man devours it and so just the principle uh, alongside the principle of the tithe would be I'd say tithe 10% to your savings account or more and save thirdly though uh, so there's, there's consecration there's care and then there's the kingdom and we're to use our finances for kingdom uh, purposes and, and we can do a couple things. We can give to the poor. We can give to missionaries. We can give to extraordinary causes. And, and so, so extra special kingdom opportunities. Certainly consecration and care is part of the kingdom. And I'm talking about uh, things that are out of the norm that we have opportunity to give to. So that's part of how we are free to give. When we get these truths that Jesus is talking about, 
we look for opportunities first to be faithful in consecration, faithful in care, and then as we're able to, we give to other things. It's such a joy to give to things like missionaries, and it, and it changes our lives. Um, a short story for Peg and for me, uh, I've told this before, but, but part of why we're here right now is because of an opportunity we had back in 1995, probably, to give some money. We, I had received a bonus. That was about $2,000. And in those days, that's 95. So we call it 4000 now. So imagine you get a $4,000 working bonus. And uh, we didn't make, I didn't make a whole lot of money at that time. And so it was really sweet to have the equivalent of 4000 bucks in the bank. And we needed to get certain things done in our house. Our house hadn't been upgraded and stuff. And so uh, at least I'll speak for myself. I don't know what Peg was thinking. But I was thinking about all the wonderful ways we could use that $4,000 to upgrade like our living room or our kitchen. You know, a uh, new tile on the kitchen floor. Uh, you know, at, I don't know if we, had, we ended up getting a pellet stove. Maybe we didn't have that yet. So I was, I was thinking about it a lot. And I found myself actually, uh, my, like daydreaming, when I had free time, I started thinking about how to spend the money. And I was listening to a message at a conference, church conference, church retreat, very much like this sort of message. And God spoke to me. And I realized that, that my heart had drifted. I, I was no longer as interested in the kingdom. I was more interested in my kitchen floor. Nothing wrong with kitchen floors, by the way. I'm not saying don't, don't you know, just the key here is avoid kitchen floors. But I found myself uh, drawn to my kitchen floor more than the kingdom. And as I listened to this pastor uh, proclaim God's word, I just decided, you know what? I'm going to give that money away, uh, you know, to the kingdom and to some sort of kingdom opportunity. So, of course, I uh, a wise man, I talked to my wife, uh, and we, we talked about it, and she was in faith as well. And we decided basically then to give the $2,000 away. And we gave it to the church, and in part to be used for outreach to an un underprivileged neighborhood in our area. And I didn't know what God had in store from that. But as a result of giving that money, I we found our hearts drawn to ministry in that area. And I started getting involved in leading ministry in that area, doing outreach and evangelism and helping in that area. Doing, we did block parties and a whole bunch of stuff. And I uh, was leading in that realm with our church and that ministry. So I was one of the leaders in our evangelism outreach ministry. I was a small group leader. And as a result of serving and leading, just because I wanted to serve the Lord, uh, pastors and those around me started to say, hey, this guy looks like he could be a pastor someday. And I was invited to be part of a training program for future pastors. Um, and then that led to being sent to the pastor's college. And that led to be sent, being sent here to plant this church. And that led to be sent, us sending three church plants from here. And by the way, one of those church planters is a young man that I recruited back in those days when we were doing that ministry in that underprivileged area. That young man at the time was, was and is named Mike Lilly. And so God had this string of kingdom things he did in our lives through giving. And I just want to encourage you to consider how God would call you to be free to give, to be free to use your money because you, you don't need to be anxious, you don't need to be fearful, but you can give. We as a church have a couple of things, and, I, and you know, if you were to give to something totally different, that's fine, but, but I just want to consider, give you uh, two things to consider. First, um, if you haven't noticed, downstairs needs a little work. We had a flood and it damaged our floor. Just heard from the insurance company last week that they will not cover it because it's a flood. 
we don't have flood insurance. So we're on our own as far as insurance companies goes to refurbish it. And uh, Dan, if you could put that picture up. I have, um, I've been praying, and uh, maybe some of you blame me for the flood, because I've been praying that our downstairs would be refurbished for the sake of ministry. And what I envision that place being is, is like a, uh, not just a standard basement fellowship hall, but a, a place where we can do hospitality, a place where we could have it be comfortable enough for overflow for our church. There are people, uh, when we build things up here, Lord, Lord willing, we will be doing that. Uh, there's overflow. For people that are brand new to church, sometimes it's intimidating. So maybe they could sit down there and have a coffee. So creating hospitality like that. For ministry during the week. And then we're starting Alpha in January. And by the way, we would love to have you involved with Alpha first step is to pray for someone to hand that invitation to. Hopefully you got it in, on your way in. But also you can use others to help. But to have it be a place that looks like this. These are a bunch of uh, refurbished fellowship halls from other churches and other contexts. And I think ours can look like that. So uh, the building team has a whole scope of work that they are proposing. And so I just want to invite you to take your 2,000 or your 20 and give it to the kingdom in terms of this. One other uh, opportunity as well, the band should come up as transition. One other opportunity as well is on Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Day, we won't take a collection. We haven't in the past. We won't this year. But we are, what we are going to do is we are going to take a collection, not, not for normal stuff, but for our benevolence fund. So we have a fund as a church for the needy in our midst uh, to help them uh, as they have financial need. And, um, and there's not a whole lot of money in that benevolence right now, and yet there's a need. And so what we are uh, encouraging people to do is to consider just giving a special one-year gift for that um, at that time at the Christmas Eve service as a way to honor the Lord and, and build the kingdom. Uh, before we transition, just hear again from Jesus, where he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Let's take a minute before we transition to communion um, just to consider what the Lord would call us to do. Uh, for you, you, it might just be to take a step to start tithing. It might be to, to, to learn how to better take care of your family financially. It might be to give to a special project like I mentioned. But let's live in light of this glorious truth that because of God's grace, we are free. And in our freedom, we're free to give and enjoy that wonderful opportunity. So let's take a minute to do that and then We'll transition.